Hello and welcome to Scout in the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2021 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I am your host, JJ Hardy, and you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. And joining me, as he will be every week, is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at The Ride Report. What's up, Vince? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, how are you? Doing well. Doing well. Well, I think I'm doing well, uh, considering all the things that transpired this week, and in particular, on Monday, yeah. ironically, when the last episode aired, um, we were notified of a big trade between the Carolina Panthers and the New York Jets, and that trade was to acquire the presumed quarterback for the, the, for the Carolina Panthers going forward and Sam Donald. And honestly, I still don't know how to feel about that. Um, I I can see the pros for Sam Donald acquisition, and I can see some cons considering who Sam Donald have has been up to this point. And 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 we actually touched on it a bit last week, and and it was yeah. seemingly clairvoyant, you know, to to bring him up and have a discussion about him, and and then he actually becomes a Panther on the same day, and so um, so. Before we get into the prospects this week, you know, let's talk about Sam Donald and, a, and another acquisition of um, AJ Bouye. But you know, going first with Sam, help me make sense of the Sam Donald trade, and then you know, help the the listeners make some sense of the the Sam Donald acquisition. We've heard a lot this week about you know why he can work out for the Carolina Panthers. The media has really been behind. Um, this deal for the Panthers and Sam Donald, you know, saying he can get a second shot. But, you know, let me know, you know, in your words, you know, what you what you think about this trade and what it can mean for the Carolina Panthers going forward. Yeah, so I, I think this does definitely fit a pattern of, 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 of how Seattle sort of approached the quarterback position before they got Russell Wilson. So in some ways, it's probably not that surprising that we see this kind of move. Um, what Seattle did is they took lots of sort of middle-tier shots at quarterback um, and... The advantage of that is that, you know, you can keep taking those shots. If you draft a quarterback in the first round, particularly in the top 10, there is a pressure to stick with them at least for two, maybe three seasons, like we've seen with Sam Donald with the Jets. And that kind of, you know, that ultimately limits the amount, the 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 effectiveness of your, your approach at quarterback. Whereas ultimately, the Panthers can still draft a quarterback this year. Probably not in the top 10 now, but... Day two, yeah, like the Panthers could definitely draft a quarterback in the third round still, particularly if they trade back and get extra picks. So, like, you can, you know, this is what Seattle did. You keep adding quarterbacks and hope one of them works out. And and while by taking these middle-tier shots rather than top-tier shots, you maybe decrease your probability of hitting from, say, 30% to 10%. But if you take four times as many shots, you have a better chance overall. And, and so, you know, the Panthers took a shot a few years ago with Real Greer. That missed. They took a shot last year with Teddy Bridgewater. That's an inconclusive result to take a shot with Sam Darnold. They could then take another shot drafting a quarterback in the third round. If those don't work out, you draft another quarterback in the second round, so next year. And, and, and you can you can just keep taking these shots until one of them hits, knowing that if one of them doesn't hit, like the Panthers are probably going to cut Will Greer this year. Like, like to be honest, like it might not happen. He might win the backup job in camp. Like I, I, I wouldn't rule it out. But like if he's not one of the top three quarterbacks in camp, he's, he's going to get cut. They're not going to have any, can we afford to cut the third round pick from two years ago type thing in the same way that, you know, 
they're not going to have any remorse about getting rid of Teddy Bridgewater in all likelihood. So by taking the these these shots, you can you can move on much more quickly, and therefore you can cycle through much more prospects. So I, I understand the trade for Sam Darnold, sort of in a vacuum in that sense. I I do personally think they gave up a little bit too much for him. Um, and, and honestly, that's what I was thinking. Um, I so let me let me get into it a little bit, and I'm not going to go too deep into it because ultimately it doesn't matter. Um, after going through last year and dealing with the the way the the fan base reacted to Teddy Bridgewater, you know, not being a game changer mm-hmm. at quarterback, and to see the news of the interest in Matt Stafford, you know, and to Deshaun Watson, to end up with Sam Donald, to me, at its core, just didn't feel like it was an upgrade to Teddy Bridgewater. The only upside that he would have compared to a Teddy Bridgewater would be, you know, maybe some physical traits, you know, that where he may have a bigger arm, you know, he may be a sturdier guy physically and he's just younger, you know, at 20, yeah, I, yeah, I think he's, 23 he, years old. he's less of a known entity. So whereas yeah. like, ultimately, I think Teddy might be better next year in inverted commas because he has better surrounding talent and more security and the system might be better. Like ultimately Teddy is who he is now. Like, you know, right. if, the argument of moving on for Teddy is not that he's bad, it's that you know he's probably not going to get tons better. Yeah. Um, and I and, and I can deal with that, you know, like yeah. as somebody who who feels that Teddy, you know, should be a starter in the NFL. He may not yeah. be a top-notch starter, but um, when I looked at Sam Donald, I just, I'm not saying that Sam Donald isn't a starter. Obviously, he has all the traits to be that, and he's really young. I just see them a lot closer than other people may see them. Oh, yeah. And I see... Sam Donald is probably being a little less careful with the football, which to me in the immediate sense, you know, isn't something to get super excited about if we're thinking about winning anytime soon. No, I, I think th- 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 this is Sam Donald's chance to, this is probably not his last chance, but probably his last serious chance to earn a starting role in the NFL long-term. Like, Ted, Teddy has proven he is a passable starting quarterback, not an amazing one, yeah. but he's kind of yeah. now stuck in that tier, whereas Donald could be a complete bust or he could be a good NFL starting quarterback. Like, he's still got the range of outcomes is still quite broad. And that obviously means it's yeah. quite a significant risk, which is why I think personally... I mean, it's, it's one of those things where if Donald works out, no one cares that you gave up a second, a fourth, and a sixth. Like, that for a quarterback, that's right. peanuts. It's just, right. if, he, if he doesn't work out then next year you're sitting here going, actually, that's quite a lot of our picks that we no longer have. And <laughs> I know I, I, it's one of those things where you know, ultimately there is always going to be a risk and a reward with these moves. I personally think they risked a little bit too much given the probability of reward. I, I would have been, I would have been, I, I was talking about this with, with, with someone else um, before the trade actually happened and we were speculating like when it would look like it was likely to happen before it was actually kind of done and dusted. And yeah. we were speculating that it was probably going to be around a third round pick yes. uh, next year, like a 2022 third round yeah. pick. And I think that, yeah. that what I thought like, yeah, that's, 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 that's a fairly, that's a, that's a fair piece of business. Um, I think yeah. if you get him for a fourth round, if they go in for a fourth and a sixth, I think that would have been a really good piece of business. If they get him for a yeah. third, that's a decent piece of business. I think the second, fourth and a sixth, I think is a, is a little bit too much personally. Like it might, you know, it might work yeah. out, and if it works out, you don't care. But it, but it's a, a little bit too much to gamble, given the reward. But like, yeah, he 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 ultimately is is a roll of a dice. I, I think if you're 
if you're expecting him to be good, I think that's unfair. Um, yeah. If you're expecting him to be bad, I think that's probably a little bit pessimistic. Um, yeah. I think there is a chance he is one of those. Um, he's probably not going to be both, but you know, he, like there is a chance that he's just really bad next year. Does not look like he belongs in the NFL, and the Panthers move on. Um, right. Or there's a chance he he looks good and he's your guy. The, I, in a way, it's good that they've got effectively got two years of Sam Darnold because the issue will be if next year he looks mixed. Because if he looks better yeah. than he looked in New York, the question then is, has the situation around him just got better or is he actually improving? Because if it's just the situation's yeah. got better, then ultimately that's not going to keep changing. But you'll know it doesn't keep changing if you've got two years. So I, right. I, I don't think this precludes them taking a quarterback this year or next year or anything like that. But I think this probably means that um, they, will, they will, won't feel the, like, we have to draw, unless he's terrible this year. Um, they probably won't move to the we have to draft the quarterback stage until twenty twenty three. But but we don't. We, I mean, I, I don't know. But um, yeah, we don't know that. Let me let me ask you a question though. So it's draft night. Yeah. Night one, we're picking, and somebody ahead of us has passed on Justin Fields, and so it's pick eight. Yeah. Justin Fields is on the board. What do you do? Um, so I think I think the thing here is. I, it really depends on what your evaluation of fields is beyond the yeah. tape. Like I, I more like I think about this earlier, like with, with lots of positions in the NFL, you can evaluate them to a fairly high degree with like um, with watching some tape. If you've got a watch some tape, medical reports, a background check and like 10 minutes with them on Skype or zoom, you can get a pretty good read of where they'll be as a prospect. Like you, you, people make mistakes. Evaluation is difficult, but like ultimately you probably aren't going to move the needle that much by interviewing them for five hours or for 10 hours. You know, right. ultimately they kind of the range of outcomes once you get to that point is fairly small. Um, whereas for quarterback, like you have to interview them for long periods of time. Like you, you know, you can't yeah. you can't just have a ten minute chat and go like, yeah, he seems decent, he seems fairly smart, we could probably coach him. Um, whereas like, you have to really trust in their ability to master the mental side of the game. So I think if, if you believe, if they believe that Fields is that guy, then draft Fields. Like, like yeah. he's 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 a good enough prospect that that if you if you like Fields and he's on the board at eight, then take him. And you don't worry about, yeah. you know, don't worry about Sam Darnold. And if one of them works out, then the fact, you know, probably also Fields probably won't be ready to start week one. And if Sam right. Darnold looks great for the first half of the season before Fields comes in, then great, you've got a quarterback that you can trade. And if and yeah. if he looks terrible, then never mind, you've got Justin Fields. So, yeah. like, and, you know, the fact that you gave up a second and a fourth, if you get a franchise quarterback out of it, even if it's a first, ultimately a first, a second, a fourth and a sixth, Surprised they're doing business. You know, you'll be happy with that for a franchise quarterback. So, I don't think you you um, you worry about that. I think the other thing is if one of the top quarterbacks is there at eight, that opens the door to a potentially fairly significant capital from trading back. Like, you know, that's what I was thinking, and I'm I'm starting to lean that way. If they really believe, you know, that Sam Donald is potentially their guy. I think it's it, personally. I think it. Sorry, I just butt in, but like, I think it's more about what you believe about Justin Fields because I don't think you can oh, be yeah. sure enough in Sam Darnold to be like he's that guy. It's more if you're not yeah. sure that Justin Fields is that guy, then don't take, then don't spend a pick on another speculative. You know, don't don't if you think he's a long shot, don't spend the eighth pick on him. It, it's more that's about it's, it's, it's more about your view yeah. of Justin Fields than it is about Sam Darnold personally. Yeah, that, that's 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 probably a better perspective on it. You know, because. If they don't really trust Justin Fields, then don't waste the pick. And then if somebody's calling you to move up to get him, then we could get a lot back 
in return yeah. for Justin Fields um, at that at that point in the draft. And so, it's particularly um, if Denver, I'm, particularly if Denver have are still at nine, because it, you know if if Justin Fields is there at eight and Denver are picking at nine, somebody's going to want to get in front of Denver for it potentially. Well, I would think there would be at least three teams that I could think of right now that would want to move up if Justin Fields was to fall to eight and we don't want to pick him. And that would be Denver, Washington, and the Patriots. Yeah, possibly Chicago as well. Yeah, Chicago. Yeah. But Chicago is so far back to where – See, I mean, see would... that, that, that's the thing. is like oh, like the, the perfect scenario is the Patriots offer you the moon for Justin Fields. And right. you 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 pray like anything that one of the top offensive tackles is there at fifteen because I think the issue right. is that if if you if you go to, this is kind of the conundrum I was talking about the, again with with Josh um, from the right report the other day is that that if you if you trade back to fifteen you're then behind the Chargers and the Vikings who both right. could need an offensive tackle and particularly right. if if Sewell is already off the board by eight which is probably going to be the case if Fields is there it might not be but it's, yeah. it's probably it's, it's fairly likely. If Sewell's already gone by eight, the odds of Slater and I think, yeah, we'll talk about this more next week, but I think really we went Darasaur was the other top tackle they could probably yes. consider. Like, if Dar- yeah, there's a chance that neither Darasaur nor Slater make it to 15. And then if you want to go offensive line, you're either looking at Tevin Jenkins, who probably would not start for the Panthers this year. And it's probably yeah. someone you draft to replace Taylor Moton, assuming he right. is. He's probably not like a left tackle, ideally. Or you're drafting a Vera Tucker to come in and start a guard. And don't be wrong, I think Vera Tucker's a good prospect. And I think yeah. particularly if you're sort of like looking at pick, you know, if, if, if you if you are 15 and, and the tackles have gone, like, you know, there's a conversation around Vera Tucker. But um, you probably don't go into the draft hoping to draft Vera Tucker. Um, and so you'd, it, it would take me an awful lot more draft capital to trade back to 15 than it would to 12 or 13. So, like, you know, I, I, like, like, Anything that puts me behind both the Chargers and Minnesota, I want a lot more draft capital for, just because of the risk yes. involved of missing out on the top offensive linesman. No, you're, you're right. And um, it, it definitely makes for an interesting night one for the Panthers. You know, the, the Sam Donald trade, you know, it, it, it suggests that, you know, that they, they definitely want to move on, you know, from the current quarterback and, and get someone else in here. And like you said, just take a shot at a guy. Um, but, you know, before the trade, you know, we really didn't know what they would do at pick number eight, you know, regarding the quarterback position. Now I feel fairly certain they won't do that, even though it's still on the table and they still should, you know, consider it. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of back and forth on Twitter this week, you know, from NFL pundits saying that the Carolina Panthers should still be in play for a quarterback and all that. It's just that my confidence in them doing that, you know, isn't, isn't as high as it was last week. Yeah, so, there's also some reading of the tea leaves where, like, if they were really, really high on a quarterback, they'd probably be more reticent about trading for Darnold. So, like, the fact they've made yeah. this move suggests that there isn't somebody they really, really. I mean, you, know, you don't know. Maybe they just think they won't fall. But, but yeah, I mean, it's an indication that they're probably not that locked into taking a quarterback at eight. Shall we say? Yeah, and 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 I forget who who it was. You know, amongst the Panthers beat writers, you know, but it may have been Joe Person. I'm not sure. I don't want to misquote anyone. Anyone. But someone suggested maybe a week or so ago, maybe two weeks ago, that the Panthers have really only been high on two. Yeah. Two quarterbacks. And that's that's Lawrence and, and Wilson. 
I think it might actually have been um, Bill Voth, actually. But, but I, I honestly, yeah. honestly yeah. can't remember. Yeah. But, like, but it's definitely been a conversation that's been around the Panthers is the idea that they had two guys much higher than the rest and they didn't think they were going to take... They, they weren't going to trade for three because they didn't think three was worth that much. Like, yeah. not, not, so, not what know, San Francisco thought it was worth anyway. Yeah, and so, you know, I, I have to keep telling myself that too. So as much as I think Justin Fields may be worth or how valuable he may be or how well he could fit you know, what I would like for the Panthers. You know, the reality is the staff, you know, may not be as high on him as a lot of us, you know, in the Twitterverse is. And so uh, so we have to move on for that. But, you know, at the end of the day, Sam Donald has been acquired. You know, we did give up a sixth rounder this year and a second and a fourth from next year. And so if he works out, you know, then we don't even think about those picks anymore. If he doesn't, then it's going to hurt a little bit more. But, you know, hearing you say that, you know, they're just taking shots yeah. know, to find a guy. I do like that there was some aggression to address the position if they weren't satisfied with what they think Teddy can bring, you know, to the position. Um, I, You know, personally, I don't think he's an upgrade to Teddy right now, but I do think at his age and with, you know, his, his arm, I'm assuming, I haven't seen much of the arm they talk about, you know, but, but with this, with this arm talent, you know, with some of his athletic traits, his size, I really hope that Sam Donald pans out for the Panthers because as yeah. I have mentioned on Twitter, I believe once you have a guy, if he wins the position, then you should want him to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. Because succeeding at the quarterback position means that we're probably playing well and there are other things that we can address on the roster because we have a quarterback that's performing well. That's really all I wanted for Teddy last year, you know, because I was looking forward to right now and thinking if Teddy can just earn his role, you know, earn, you know, earn the the starting quarterback position for the Carolina Panthers for at least the next two, three years, then we can focus on getting better in other areas. And so now I'm using that same logic for Sam Donald. Yeah. I no, want no, him no, to no. play well just so we can do that. Yeah, no, I, I think the the only situation where you really this not the only situation is going to look bad, but like the situation they need to avoid is the one where he plays absolutely terribly. The Panthers are rubbish next year, and that second round pick is like pick thirty seven or something, and then you're like, right. that that's that's not worked. Like that's that's the, when you're going to miss it. Yeah, yeah that, that's when it's going to really hurt. Um, but but yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, hopefully, I mean. I, the Jets were really bad last year. So, like, there, there is definitely, like, even though it doesn't excuse the things that he did wrong, but, like, he did not have an awful lot of help, should we say. No, and, and, and I would agree with that. You know, when I did see them play, I think I saw the Jets actually play twice. One time was against the Patriots, where they played pretty good, but it, that was more of um, the backup, Joe Flacco, and what he was doing against the Patriots defense. And then I saw them play early against Denver, but that Denver game was bad because I think Denver had a backup quarterback in and, and Sam Donald, he looked well. I think he made a dynamic run, you know, against that defense. And, but I think he ended up getting hurt that game. I can't remember. But I I mean, I saw a lot of, I saw a mixed bag of play from him, um, but they did have a bad team um, last year. So I'm just hoping because they're taking a guy that hasn't proved to be a, a winning quarterback yet. And if, this situation in Carolina is as good as the NFL pundits say it is for him, then he should have some success. You know, one thing that 
I'm curious to to find out about Sam Donald is and not necessarily just him, but if he if he comes to the Carolina Panthers and then he's not and he's not successful in this Joe Brady offense, I wonder if the narrative will change about who Joe Brady is as an offensive coordinator. I think That's it would depend what watch. what kind of unsuccessful he is. Like if he just yeah. throws terrible picks, then you can't blame that on the coordinator. If yeah. if he's struggling to effectively organize the structure, maybe. I mean, like like the, you know, if he looks like you no, know, there were times with the Jets where he. I've seen him in, in the games I watched writing the, the profile on him this week. I've watched him get sacked before he reached the bottom of his drop, and I've yeah. watched him drop back and there be literally nowhere to go with the ball. More like yeah. multiple times, and it's just like there is, there is nobody open. There is, there is like, you know, you're just firing in prayers basically. And like, you know, right. if that that's happening on a consistent enough basis, that you think it's going to be very hard for anybody to be successful in that offense. And and um, I would agree with that. Let me ask you one question before I get off of Sam Donald. Last year, Matt Rule, and I believe Joe Brady, and and you were more involved in the press conferences than I, but. I know there were press conferences where they say where they said that they put a lot of responsibility on Teddy to decide which play to run. I think they yeah. would like give him like five different choices that he would walk to the line of scrimmage or walk to the huddle with. And and then, you know, once he was able to see the defense, he can basically check at the line yeah. of scrimmage to what they were gonna do. Uh I thought that was an underrated um you know, skill that Teddy brought to the table, his, his his mental approach to the game, even if he was limited in some ways, you know, athletically, I don't know. But when it comes to Sam Donald, when you watch this tape, was that something that the Jets did with him a lot? Or it, did it, he it's, pretty it's, much call it as... It's almost impossible to know because you, know, you, don't, you don't know what gets called. You don't, you don't always know what gets run, um, particularly if it's not executed particularly well. Um, so, yeah, no, I, you, I, personally, I don't think you can say unless you have inside information or, or, or anything like that. But, um, yeah. yeah, I'm not sure that's necessarily something the Panthers should be doing. Like, I, I understand giving guys options. To, like, players should absolutely have the ability to check out of plays, but they should be checking right. out of plays for reasons that they've discussed as a coaching staff and as a team. Like, like <laughs> yeah. it should not be like, here are five plays, pick one. Because ultimately, yeah. at that point, what are you doing as a play caller? Um, yeah. it, it should be this is the play unless they do this, in which case you check to this. And obviously, you, you there has to be a little bit of feel to it. It can't just be like a checklist of well, the safety moved right five meters, so we check to that play. But then the linebacker moved left two meters, so we check. You know, it has to be like somewhat instinctive. But but it, it, there should be like a an agreed upon rationale for why you're calling what. It shouldn't just be like pick a play. Um, but I mean, but I, I'm not wrong I'm not, in remembering that, right? Oh, no, 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 no that, that, that. That, they did say that. But what it's not clear is exactly what that looked like, whether it was like, here are the five plays, one of which is like cover zero check, one of which is, you know, um, middle field open, um, like check, one of which is middle field closed check, one of which is yeah. like um, double A gap pressure check, and one of which is, uh, I don't know, uh, stat, like, I don't know compressed box three over two type check um so so yeah i mean there's there's a difference between having five plays and knowing why you're calling each one and being like just call which one you think is best because at that point you you, you, that that's that's unhelpful responsibility to place on a quarterback because like if it's peyton manning fine like you know know, if, if it's someone who's been a starter for 15 years and ultimately no probably knows what they're doing just as well as you do yeah drew Brees, peyton manning tom brady aaron Rodgers. I probably can Newton at this point of his career. And you know, yeah, yeah, yeah almost certainly can Newton, frankly. Russell Wilson, like guys who've been around for 
for, you know, I keep, it's one of things you keep forgetting how long that Wilson and Cam have been around, but guys who've been around for the best part of a decade, like they've seen yeah. every defense. They know, they know what's happening and they can't always get everything perfectly correct, but like they know what's happening. Whereas right. like Teddy ultimately has been a starter for like three years yeah. like, as an actual, like proper full-time starter. Like, you know, he's seen a lot from the sidelines and stuff and he's definitely a veteran guy and a smart guy. But just expecting him to be like effectively the coordinator on the field, I think, is more about an abdication of responsibility than some kind of, you know, he, I don't think he's shown that he is that kind of, that, you know, he is not like a top five quarterback mentally type. No, I don't think he's better. He could be, who knows? But I don't think you sort of feel like, well, Teddy is in the Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees kind of tier of game manager. So, yeah, I yeah. know, you know, and that was the crazy part. You know, when you look at all the strange things that happened and was said this year, from the coaching staff, I think someone may have questioned, you know, why they did that, you know, with Teddy this year. And I think Matt Rue said it's because that's what the top quarterbacks in the NFL does, you know, like they, they do that. And I was like, wow, you know, like that's a big statement, you know, like that's, that's saying that you believe that Teddy should have that responsibility as one of the top guys. But, you know, honestly, as much as I, supported Teddy this past year I, I was kind of concerned about the fact that yeah. he had so much on him because when you watch the offense it was rare that we got the ball snapped before there was you know two seconds on, on yeah, the yeah no it was it was it was, a, it was a real issue yeah it was yeah. a real issue and, and and it looked like it was more problematic than it was beneficial you know when I was watching like good teams play down the stretch and into the playoffs, I was really watching, you know, it's like one of those funny things I started paying attention to, like, what do the good teams do? What do, you know, what do the good quarterbacks do when it comes to, you know, running the offense? And, you know, it, was, it wasn't, it wasn't all that uncommon for them to snap the ball with five seconds left on the clock, you know, with six seconds left on the clock. Like they didn't always get down to like one second before they snapped the ball. And I was like, well, why are we doing that? You know, because these guys are top quarterbacks, but they're not waiting until like the last second to get the snap, you know? And so anyway, it was just something interesting, but yeah, let's, yeah. let's get off of that. You know, it was, it yeah, was we can uh, talk about again, hoping that, hoping that Sam Donald pans out, you know, and um, hope this, this project works out for the Panthers and works out for him. And ultimately, you know, that the, the, the team and our, our beneficiaries of, all of that. So, um, but he wasn't the only person um, signed or traded or acquired this week. Uh, we also was able to pick up a potential starting cornerback in AJ Bouye. Yeah. And um, the, the social media site um, had a lot of fun with, with this pickup, you know, and, and they're just great anyway. But can you give us a, a quick breakdown of what AJ Bouye can bring to the team? Yeah, I mean, so it's worth noting that he is, I think, currently suspended for the first two games of the season for PED violation. So he won't be available right away. But I think he's probably, he's definitely towards the end of his career and hasn't played that much the last, like he only played about half last season and hasn't been at his best for a while. But like he went, went at his best, he was an all pro corner. Like he's got really good ball skills. He's like, he's quite a long guy, uses length very well. Probably can play both man and zone to a high level. It's still, you know, it's dependent a little bit on how much his body's still got in terms of like the speed to play man and the quickness and stuff. But, but, you know, he, he's he's probably not the guy he was paid to be in Jacksonville five years ago. Um, the guy who was a first team All Pro in 2017. But he, it was, it was, it may have been second team, but he was like an All. I think it was an All Pro in 2017. Um, but he's he's probably gives you a solid um, basis to build around. Um, I think the expectation would be that he will 
when he's back from suspension, he will be the number two corner opposite opposite Dante. Um, okay. The whether he's the long term guy will depend. Probably he's old. Given his age, he's not going to be the long term guy. But on a two year deal, whether he's the starter for both years will kind of depend on one what happens in the draft of the position and also how how his age kind of manifests itself. Um, but I think he's whereas Rashawn Melvin felt like an insurance player. Um, I think this feels more like a we're probably not going to prioritize corner quite as much as we might have done. Like, I, you know, I think right. if, they, if they were locked in taking a corner, like if they loved both Sertain and Horn, they were going to take whichever one was there at eight, you probably don't sign Bouye. Um, yeah. So I think it's a really indication that that's not their top priority for the for the draft and that he's probably going to be a bit like the Eli Apple signing was last year, only uh, probably a bit more of a proven player with probably less upside. Whereas Apple was a guy who had never quite put it together elsewhere. Um, and they yes. were hoping he could put it together in Carolina and obviously you know, didn't. But um, I think Bouye is probably a guy who the upside is probably not that of a long-term answer. Like he's probably never going to be the guy who's around in three or four years time, uh, partly because of age and nothing else, but could be like a solid, reliable guy in the short term. Like at least a, a, a perfectly competent CB2, assuming he hasn't just fallen off a cliff. No, and that's what I'm. I'm really hoping for him, you know, and for us is that he hasn't fallen off the cliff yet. Uh, yeah. I was a little disappointed to learn that he would be suspended for the first two games because it does feel early, you know, reminiscent of last year where we started the season without Eli Apple, you know, who was the presumed starter, and so <laughs> when he was able to finally come back, you know, he never really quite got there. And no. so I, I do see him as being a different player. Um, he is a better corner. He is a more proven corner. Um, he has a way better resume, has way better film, all of that. You know, you went through his accolades. Um, so I'm more excited for him than I was for Eli Apple. Last yeah. year was more so just getting a guy who we could trust to be a starter because last year was much like this year where we were entering the season without any proven corners. You know, we were coming from off last year where – uh, Dante Jackson had been benched for the last few games. And so, you yeah, know, we didn't know what we had. It's also worth noting that, like, they didn't get Razul Douglas until, like, the end of training camp, like, before the season. So yeah. it was, it was like, although he came in and ultimately was the starter, like, if they hadn't signed Eli Apple, they could very well have been in a position where, like, Troy Pride was starting week one and Stan Thomas Oliver. Yes. Well, Cornell Elder actually would have, would have played the corner. But, like, it was, you know, they, they did not have, like, a clear number two on the roster. So, like, that was the move, that was the move for Eli Apple. Yeah, and so you know, and, and and so this year, I'm glad that we have addressed it prior to the draft. You know, it gives us some flexibility on draft night. Um, I was really high on Sertain, um, so yeah, no, you know, he, he is was, good. Yeah, I was I was high on Sertain, and so I was hoping that we would, you know, that he would be in play for eight, and maybe he still is, you know. But uh, Sertain was a guy that we talked about before. I, I think really I, fit for this. Defense. I think yeah, this this is yet another arrow pointing towards offensive line. I think would be would be how I'd read it. Yeah. Like it, it's another sign that like they really, really just want an offensive tackle or at least an offensive linesman. Um, well, you know, and 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 that's not that's not bad thinking on their part. No, either. No. One one thing that I believe is, you know, we talked about the investment in Sam Donald. You know, making the trade for Sam Donald, giving up the sixth this year, the second and the fourth next year, and you know, like like we said, if he pans out, then you don't even think about those draft picks anymore. If he doesn't then you do, you know, but I think you don't go out and make that type of acquisition. Go get a guy who was really highly regarded just three drafts ago and, 
and say, okay, we're going to just pick him up and then hope he plays well. I think this staff, Matt Rule, Scott Fitterer, Joe Brady, and Dave Tepper, I think they have to give him everything that they feel he has to have to be successful. And the, the most key element for a quarterback is to make sure that his edges are protected. You know, and so we have Taylor Moten on one side at right tackle. You would think that they would have to make sure that he's not getting just bombarded, you know, from his from his left side. And so left tackle, to me, has to be the number one priority now. It wasn't the, the pick that I was, I was hoping the most for, but it is the, the most sound pick. And so um, I do think that this allows for that now. I think they're going to do everything within their will, you know, to make Sam the guy. And that's not a bad thing. You know, you're going to get some some salty Panthers fans, you know, <laughs> that's going to be a little irritated by the fact they finally going to get, you know, a quarterback, a left tackle. But, you know, they shouldn't be worried about that. You know, you should just uh, – hopefully you, you're happy that the team finally is going to put some emphasis on securing their quarterback's blind side. And so, um, so yeah, you know, it, it does set the table for the left tackle acquisition. And, you know, to me overall, you know, these two acquisitions, while the, the Donald pick wouldn't have been something I would have done, I get it. And like, mm-hmm. like I said before, I'm, I'm behind it. I'm behind him. Hope he's successful. I like the A.J. Bouye pick, yeah, um, you know, and, and especially in the short term, I think he gives us some – some uh, certainty, you know, at the position. I think he's an upgrade to to what we had on the roster last year. Even though Brazil yeah. that just played really well, you he's know, much, coming in like he did. He's much more versatile than Brazil, certainly. Yeah, and so I, and and so I'm I'm excited, you know, about how the secondary is shaking shaping up with Dante on one side and and Buya on the other side, and then Chen moving back to safety. You know, we still have to figure out the other safety position, but but. Going into the draft, I think it gives us that flexibility to go get the left tackle of the future. I just hope that we do it. You know that if, if that's the plan that we that we're able to get the guy that they want the most. But that's one side of the trenches. You know that that left tackle would sure up or help sure up the offensive line and um, and that side of the football. But today's episode is is truly about shoring up the defensive line. And yeah. you know, as you all know, we have improved the defensive line this offseason um, by picking up um, Morgan Fox. We've, we picked up um, Hassan Reddick, if you, you know, if you consider him an, an edge, but we still have some huge vacancies, you know, in the defensive interior. Yes. And so this episode is about, you know, one of those vacancies in particular, and that's defensive tackle and, and in particular a three technique defensive tackle. Yeah. So Vincent, I know you've done a lot of research on the defensive tackles in the draft, but not just any old defensive tackle. It's about the defensive tackles who fit the Panthers. Yeah. But of all of them, you know, can you give the listeners the top defensive tackles in this draft? Yeah. Um, yeah. So as you mentioned, just to frankly, like as you mentioned, like you're looking for a guy who's basically to play alongside Derek Brown um, in the in like the four man front. Um, and then yeah. to play like the reason I, I think it's important to know stylistically, they probably want someone who can play both the, the defensive tackle in the, the four man front and also the defensive end role in the, the three man front. So you, you want that sort of like three tech guy. So you probably want a 
probably a slightly on the smaller side three tech. They're probably not looking for like a, a 320 pound power based rusher, I would guess. They probably want more of a speed based guy or at least a, a quicker guy. But in, in terms of like the, like the actual, just the board overall, regardless of the Panthers, um, I think there are sort of four guys who who are sort of notably separated from the rest for me. Um, for me, the best guy is, is Levi Mwazorike from Washington. Um, he's, again, he fits the kind of the profile of what the Panthers are looking for. He's about 6'3", 290-ish. Um, he's a good athlete, quick, really like surprisingly powerful for his size, got nice like, long arms, locates his hands well. Show some, show some flashes of like some, some pass rushing moves. Um, he is still a bit developmental. Like I don't think there's any one guy who is sort of an elite, elite prospect. I think, I think Mwazurike needs to play with more consistent pad level and would be helped playing in a scheme that used him more consistently, effectively. Like Washington, they run this weird front where they like, he was lined up a nose tackle at times and, and all kinds of stuff. So like he, he will do better being more of like a pure three tech at the next level. Um, I think he probably isn't quite ready yet to be like a full-time starter. Like you probably, if you, if you draft him, you probably, he will play a lot of snaps, but he might not be like the guy who's there for 60% of the snaps. Say he just, he, he okay. needs to sort of keep refining his hand usage and his pad level. But I think he, he, his best case scenario is, is I think probably the best of this draft in terms of the reasonable expectations. Um, the next best guy for me is actually Cam Sample from Tulane. So some people have him listed as an edge and I like that is really where he was used at Tulane, but I think he was so impressive at the senior bowl playing three tech. Like he, he was so, so impressive. Um, he, he's what got is his weight metric. I mean, so he, I you... think he's like, like he's measured somewhere between like 275, 280, something like that. Like that's kind of his sort of range. Like if, okay. So he's pretty light. Yeah. I think if, if you drafted him to be a, a specialist three tech, you'd probably ask him to put on a bit of weight. So he's more like 280, 285. Uh, and I think he can do that. Like I, I, there's a little bit of like, if you draft him for him to be an edge, you probably want him to lose five, 10 pounds. If you want him to be a three tech, you want him to gain five or 10 pounds. And he's sort of a little bit in the middle at the moment. Right. Um, but importantly, he's got really good power for his size and he plays with fantastic leverage on the whole. Like he, he shows, although he's not going to go, he's going to sort of anchor against like double teams. If he's against one-on-one blocks, he gets really low. He extends his arms well. He locates his hands to the frame and he can drive blockers off balance. Like as a, as a run defender, he's quite sort of um, reminiscent of Ed Oliver um, from okay. Houston who went to the Bills in yeah. that he's like, he's not as explosive as Oliver, I don't think, in terms of like just raw power and quickness. But I think he he gets has a similar kind of very, very low stance with good arm extension and sort of gets under guys and drives them upwards. Um, and in that way, he, he plays like a much bigger run defender. And, and like Oliver, obviously, he then struggles against double teams because then you can work them off balance and work them upwards. And then he like just doesn't have the weight and the strength to just anchor. But as a guy who, yes. would, who would line up over a guard and would like effectively, he'd, he'd be taking guys one on one. And if you choose to double yes. team him, it's because you've left someone else unblocked, basically. You know, if, if, if he's lined up as the three tech and Derek Brown is the nose and you're double teaming sample, it's because you've left Derek Brown on an angle to come in and crash the backfield. So, like, it, you know, yes. it, it, you can get away with that. Um, I think as a pass rusher, he's still a little bit developmental. Like, he was used as an edge guy, and I think that that sort of hindered his development a bit at times, but he shows really quick hands. Um, he's got, like, a decent power game. Like, he's got pretty good rip move and, like, speed swim. Um, and he's, and he's, I think in, in his one-on-one work, particularly at the, at the senior bowl, he was really impressive in the quickness of his hands and the way he was able to generate leverage laterally. Um, so I think he's a, he's a little bit of a risk in that there aren't many guys like him in the NFL who are being successful. In the same way that Ed Oliver was kind of seen as a bit of a, a speculative guy because there just wasn't, there wasn't an easy pro comparison for him. 
Um, but I think if you if you like Cam Sarper comes across as a really smart guy, and I think if you if you have a clear vision of how you want to use him, I think he can morph into that. So if, if you know Cam Sample sounds like um, he sounds like Solomon Thomas a little bit without being as highly regarded as a prospect. You know, he sounds like he's like a tweener. Yeah, I think he's he's slighter than Solomon Thomas. Um, probably a bit quicker, um, but plays with better, notably better leverage. Okay. Um, I, I, I mean, so, so I, I like Solomon Thomas. I thought he was a good prospect. I didn't think he was defensive end, but that's kind of a different matter. Um, but like, I, I, yeah, he's not that dissimilar. I think he's stylistically different. He's like, he's one of those things where you have, like, no one is like Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is playing on a completely different level to every other defensive tackle. But in terms of how they are effective, they are similar in that it, it is, it is more about um, quickness and disruption than it is like stand up and face edge. Like, like he's not a guy who gets like vertical and is just working his hands side to side. Where Solomon Thompson yes. is more of a more of a hand penetrator. Sample is more a guy who uses his hands to exploit his natural athleticism. Um, so I think in in yeah he he. He probably fits a similar role, but he's very different in how he's effective. Okay. I mean, and, and that makes sense to me. I haven't seen a lot of sample. Um, I was watching him without knowing I was watching him at the senior bowl. Um, but when you when you reminded me, you know, before we started recording, you know, about him being um, showing well at the senior bowl, I, I think I do remember, you know, him flashing. And, but, but, I mean, sounds like a good prospect. But I am concerned a little bit about his size, you know, being on the lighter side. And, you know, because we, you know, when we talk about this, this defensive line going forward, you know, a lot of the frustration people had with drafting Derrick Brown last year was that, you know, we drafted him at number number seven. And he wasn't like one of these guys that would get a lot of penetration, uh, even though he had a lot of um, quarterback pressures. And you know, I think he ended up with two sacks. Um, you know, nobody envisioned him being a, a great pass rusher. So for me, I yeah. think when we draft a D tackle this year, that you know he will be somebody who can be more of that guy who can win one on one and actually have a, a really good vertical push. Yeah, no, um, I think I think I think I think Cam Sample can be that guy. I think Amuzareka and Sample are probably the best two fits with that role as well. Um, yeah. I think Derek Brown could be an effective pass rusher. I think he's just still a little bit developmental in that regard. Like he's he's getting there as a pass rusher. Um, yep. But I, yeah, I think he's he's never going to be the like fifteen sack, super right. quick, you know, two second pressure type guy. Um, and I think you know, it's, and it's kind of unfair, you know, when you you mentioned you know the the comparison to to Aaron Donald. I think for fans, everybody thinks that when you draft a, a three tech, you know, that they have to be compared to how good Aaron Donald is. I think and that's, that's really you cannot a disservice to, to Aaron Donald. You know, people just don't realize how great he is and how different he is than, than almost every other defense. Oh, it's, 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 it's bonkers. Like, what, so when I watched a reason about a Morgan Fox tape for the profile I wrote on him when the Panthers right. signed him, and it's so hard to watch the Rams defense and not think, jeez, like that, that <laughs> you know, like you just see, you just see this blur and this, you know, just, it's just freak, just, it's unlike anything you've ever seen. Just like putting guards on skates, just so explosive, so powerful. Right. Like I, I think the the thing he does so remarkably well is that he's almost able to run at great leverage. 
like where whereas he's not having it's not having to like bend his knees and drive it's just like the whole body just bend it's a bit like brian burns where like brian burns just bends in a way that most people do not bend right and aaron donald does that at like 290 pounds not not quite to the extreme that brian burns does but way more than anyone else does at 290 pounds and it's that it's the power and the quickness and the bend and the, the leverage and it's just Oh, it's just unlike anything. You know, it's one of those things where I, I mean, I, I don't actually watch that much non-Panthers football because right. I spend a lot of time watching Panthers football and, and draft picks. Right. And, and, and and so I don't like watch Aaron Donald on a weekly basis. And so like when you do watch him, you just uh, struck. But just, he's just on a diff, completely different level to every other defensive tackle that, that I've ever seen. Yeah, and, and, and you know, for, for fans here in the States, you know, we, we watch the Rams. Now, I, I watch every, I try to watch a lot of football every week, you know, I have the, the Sunday ticket thing. And, and so I'm always watching Panthers football when the Panthers are on. So whatever time slot they're in, if they're on, I'm watching every snap. I'm never watching any other game, but you know, in the other time slots, you know, and, and, and for the Rams, you know, they play on the West coast. So they, they normally in the afternoon slot or they on prime time. So, you know, you get to see a fair, fairly good amount of Aaron Donald. And, and when you're watching that defense, man, like you say, you know, it's just mesmerizing, how dominant he is and how quick he is and how well he uses his hands and everything. And so, you know, when you, when you <laughs> envision your team and, you know, and your interior um, defensive lineman, you know, you just wish that you can get a guy who's just like three fourths as good as him uh, because you can't imagine anybody else being as good as him, and so yeah, I, I, and so yeah, I, I, I think I think it's a bit like to the. I remember I talked about this when we talked about linebacker. It's a bit like Luke Kuechly, where it's like you, you really should not compare anybody to to Aaron Donald because right. the like that that's someone who had you know, there there is there has never been anybody like Aaron Donald. There have been people who have been very very good and might be like as good as Aaron Donald in sort of inverted commas, but I, I don't think there's anyone who is stylistically like that. Like, no, there has been, you know, I think Cam Sample could be a really good edge, like uh, interior rusher. I think he plays yeah. with really good leverage. I think he can be a, a genuinely good starter in the NFL. Like, but projecting him to be anywhere close to Aaron Donald would just be insane. Yeah, and, and, and so I won't. So no, I won't. no, no. So, um, so we have Wuzurike and Sample. So who else, you know, in your top prospects? Yeah, there's then sort of like two guys fairly close together as the number three, which is Davion Nixon and Christian Barmore. Um, okay. I'm not sure either would be great fits with the Panthers. Um, they're both sort of a bit bigger guys, and both of them are a bit more power-based in their rush. Um, I think Nixon, both guys need to improve their pad level. Um, like both guys stand too vertical too often and just get blocked out of too many plays. Um, but both guys can be like good defensive tackles. Like I think they're more... If, if you are a straight 4-3 team that plays 4-3 all the time and you're looking for a guy who can play 3-tech and then maybe some 1-tech as well, I think sort of like a Kwan Short type guy. Like if you were looking, yeah. it, they would make more sense in that role. Um, Nixon probably more is like that hybrid 1-3-tech guy. Like he really is quite quite powerful. Um, but yeah, but I, I think both guys are good. I think, but yeah, the, the pad level and the consistency of the arm extension, which kind of comes with that, are the, are the biggest things. Um, and both of them could do with diversifying their rush a bit more as well. But I think they're both good players. They should be good starters in the NFL. Um, but I think they're not. They don't offer quite the same upside as pass rushers as either in Wazirike or Sample do. Um, and I, I don't think either of them for the Panthers would be ideal fits. I mean, I think Barmore is probably just going to go too high for the Panthers to consider him. 
Um, and then I, I, I just don't think he'll be there on the board in the second. Like all the all the talk is that he'll go sort of late first, very early second. So I think he he probably just isn't going to fit in the range where they consider drafting a guy. And I think Nixon, if you trade down in a second, sort of more like the the later third of the second, I think then you can start justifying Nixon just through his quality. But right. I think if if you're talking about a combination of quality and scheme fit, I think he's he's not the guy that you'd go into draft hoping to draft, even though he's quite good. I think he he would be better for other teams, shall we say. Okay, I mean because that's important to know. Davian Nixon was the guy that I, I had been following. You know, he has a great story. Um, his path to you know being drafted is great. You know, his time in Iowa. You know, he he's he's had a great. College career, he had, he had he was a fast riser. You know, once he was given a chance at Iowa, uh, I thought that he would be someone. You know, just thinking, I was thinking more on the lines of the KK short roll. You know, like you put it, yeah. Um, in a traditional four man front, you know, where he would be, you know, a three tech. You know, who can also play one. You know, but just being a traditional interior um, defensive lineman, I, I I saw him more like that. I think the, I, I think the, I think. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I, I think the issue the Panthers have is that like Braveron Roy is really a one tech only, and Derek right. Brown is a one tech who can maybe play some three tech. Yeah. Like they don't actually need the, the one tech contribution very much because right. the, the, yeah, the, the, the issue is is that if, if you're if you're playing David Nixon at the at the one tech it's not totally clear what it, it, Derek Brown or Bravery and Roy are going to take probably, I'd say 85% to 90% of the one tech snaps. Right. So, so like there is not going to be much call for someone to play much one tech. So really right. it, it is more of a pure evaluation of them as three techs, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. And, and I mean, but you know, I think the case is, you know, when, when people hear these names, they hear us talking about them. I'm glad that you, break it down in the sense of, you know, here are the top guys, but here are the guys that fit the Panthers because that affects how you rank them and, you know, and in and, and, and the order of which we speak yeah. on them. So, you know, for the top prospects, you you covered Levi Ruzurike, yeah. uh, Cam Sample, Davion Nixon, and Kristen Barmore. And, and, and so when people hear these names, you know, a lot of people are going to be more familiar with Kristen Barmore than the others. Um, because we've seen him on the bigger stages and, you know, and he was dominant in the championship game. And so everybody's going to think, well, you know, he's clearly the the best of the prospects. But, you know, when we talk about prospects on here, um, you've, you know, you pretty much do the homework and, and and put them in order of which one of the top prospects fit the Panthers best. And so, yeah, I, um, I, I think, but I, I mean, I, it's one of those things where I don't think there's that much between the top four guys. Like I think there, there is, there is a, a big enough gap between the top four guys and the rest. I don't think you could convince me that anyone should be above any of those four that we haven't mentioned so far. Yeah. Um, but I think if, if how you have those four ranked, I think is, is a little bit subjective. Um, like, you know, obviously with sample, there's a lot of projection based on what he showed in the senior bowl um, with Onwuzurike, a lot of based on his coachability and stuff. Like if, if you're saying who is going to be the best defensive tackle week one, you can make a pretty good case for Barmore. Um, being, right. being the best guy week one. Um, right. And therefore, how much the other guys leapfrog him is about how much you think they can develop compared to him. Um, okay. So, like, I, I think, you know, if someone had Barmore as the top defensive tackle, I wouldn't think they were insane. I just might disagree. Whereas if someone yeah. had, had someone, you know, if someone had someone other than these top four as the top defensive tackle, I would I would struggle to understand where they were coming from. And, you know, and it's, it's crazy, too. That's going to lead me to our next section. 
um, where we talked about guys who may be a little overhyped. Mm-hmm. There's one guy that I think you're going to mention here who I believe some people would have in the in their top four. Well, I've seen a lot of people mention it in their top four. And so, yeah. you know, tell us tell us your overhyped guys, and I'll let you know if you if you mention them. So I think I think so Jay Tufeli and Tyler Shelvin, the two guys I picked. Um, Jay, Jay is the guy I'm talking about. Yeah. So I mean, I for me, I think Tufeli probably is gonna be better as a one tech than a three tech. Um, and I think he's a pretty good athlete. Um, yeah. but I think he he's far too vertical too much of the time. Like, you know, most of the guys we're gonna talk about have some issues with pad level. I mean, really everyone has some issues with pad level. It, it no, nobody is perfect at it. it you know, it, it's it's not one of those things that you just are perfect at all the time. Um, but I think he is notably not very good. And it then the issue is that then has issues that arise from that. Because if you get vertical, it it makes it much harder to extend your arms properly. It tends to mean that your your sort of your your frame gets exposed a lot more and guys can grab hold of you. And it just means right. there are just too many plays where it just gets blocked out. Um and I'm not Honestly, sure. that's that's you know, you mentioned that that's one of the issues I had with Derek Brown. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Like the issue with Derek Brown's got this weird thing where like he does some really good stuff, but he just he he still hasn't got the basics consistently nailed. Like and this right. and this was the the thing with him as a prospect, like he definitely has got them better as he's got, as time has gone by. Like his 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 fundamentals were better as an NFL player than they were as a as a as a senior, and they were better as a senior right. than they were as a junior. So like he right. is getting better, but it's like you know he he there are just too many plays where he's just like where he's just done after like half a second. Um, right. And like watching his game against Alabama as a senior, admittedly against Deontay Brown, who has some is probably the best matchup to block a guy like Brown. Where and don't wrong, Deontay Brown has some real issues as a blocker, but you know one thing he doesn't lack for is like arm usage and strength. And like there right. were just so many plays where like it was half a second in and Brown was done because yes. Brown <laughs> Brown had just just you know Deontay Brown had just got to his frame, grabbed him by the chest, and it was over. Yeah, yeah, well, there wasn't even necessarily manhandling, but like you're not going to break free, so like all you can do is like drag the guard around the field, and ultimately there's there's only a limit to how effective you can be when that's happening. Yeah, Um, and I think it's one thing that that people forget about Brian Burns that Brian Burns does really well is that Brian Burns very rarely gets blocked out of plays. He might not always get home, but he very rarely gets blocked. Yeah, like like he he part of the reason why he had so many cleanup sacks in his rookie season was just because he was just alive. Like, as the play broke down, he was never the guy that was blocked. He could always just get off where he was and get home. Yeah. Uh, and, and there was a real skill to that. Like, I think, it, you know, when we talk about the edge guys, Greg Rousseau um, from Miami, like, he's just really good at that. Like, he might not be great at everything else, but, like, the fundamentals of just not getting blocked, he's just really good at. And right. I think Tufele is not great at that. And I don't think I see the, the real upside to justify the risk of him not getting that corrected. Like, again, like, I don't think he's a, a bad prospect. Like, it's, there was no one who, who's been given, like, top three-round love where I thought they're completely undraftable. Like, I think Tufele is still, like, a mid-round pick. But I think he's right. a mid-round pick rather than a day-two pick. Right. Um, and the same thing's true of Tyler Shelvin, where it's like, I don't think he's a bad player. But again, pad level is really quite inconsistent. Um, and... Is again probably a mid-round pick rather than the day two pick. I think yeah, there's no one who I think is just the projections are completely out. And I just don't have a clue what people are seeing. I just think the there are some guys probably because it's not that strong a defensive tackle class. There are guys who are being talked about as day two picks who probably are really day three picks. They're really day three. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. just because the, the class isn't particularly deep. I mean, it's it's deep the, if you want 
mediocre. Like if, if, if you want a passable rotation piece, there are actually quite a lot of guys to like. And there are, like, I don't think the class is as bad as people think. And I think there are, are going to be interesting options to get in the middle rounds, but there's not like a depth of like sure thing starters early guys. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the part that's a little disappointing for me. I mean, obviously, you know, you don't draft a, a, a three-tech interior defensive lineman and expect for them to come in and be all pro in their rookie season. Um, but when I look at the potential for this Panthers front, you know, and and and, and a particularly the pass rush, you know, to me, that three-tech is the only weakness I can truly see. Um, yeah, given you have Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick coming off the edges and, you know, and you have, you know, a guy like Morgan Fox, you know, you have, you have um, Gross Matos, you know, you have Derek Brown. Um, you know, I, I want just a, a pure three tech who can shoot the gap, who can penetrate, who can be essentially what KK Short was at his best. And, and I think, yeah. you know, for anybody listening, you know, you, you know, all we, you know, know of recently, you know, is, is KK Short. Well, he's been hurt for the last two years. But before that, you know, he was a dominant three tech. And he was somebody I think we were able to snatch in the third round. Second. When he was drafted. The second was the late second. Uh, early so, second. He was like 40th pick or something like that. Was he the 40th? No, okay. It might have been like 45. It was like it was mid, it was mid first round because it was the year they drafted Star, I think, at 14. And then I think... KK might have been like 46, 45, something like that. I will, I will yeah, check. I think this, that might have been the, what, the 2014 draft? Uh, 2013 draft. Is it 13 or 14? Yes, it might have been 13. because Calvin Benjamin yeah. was 14. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. So, so yeah, you know. Pick, but 40, they pick were 44. Eight, pick 44. And so, you know, you can find guys who can do what KK did for us, you know, basically on day two. And that was the point I was trying to make, you know. And, yeah. and so... Now, one of these guys, you know, what is a Cam Sample, you know, we mentioned as a top prospect, you know, Davion Nixon, which, you know, may be a little bit more unlikely. Um, you know, you can get value on day two, you know, with one of these guys. I just kind of, you know, just you know, obviously as a Panthers fan, I hope that we can find that diamond in the rough. But every other team is looking for the same guy. And so uh, that's the hard part. And everybody won't get lucky. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, so anyway, you know, it, but – there isn't a lot of depth when it comes to guys that look like short things, you know, they've missing covered those guys that's the top prospects. And after that, I just don't know, you know, who they yeah. may be. And yeah. so hopefully we get some surprises in there. Yeah. So I think there are a couple of other guys worth mentioning in terms of who the Panthers could draft. I think it's also worth mentioning that like Cam Sample is probably not going to go until like day, like probably round three, round four, like right. you know, partly because like he, he is a bit, he is definitely a, a risk because he's a guy who has, essentially played defensive end like he was he was like a no two-point stance stand-up edge rusher a lot too late like you and now he's going to be asked to be a d-tackle um and i think he can do it and i think crucially the panthers got a long opportunity to look at him at the senior bowl like they they coached him at the senior bowl so they will right if anyone has an idea of whether he can do it it will be the panthers and so i think the like particularly if he's still on the board in the fourth round i think that's where he really starts to to be a hard guy to pass on because the the risk is definitely there, but the upside is is really big, and the, Pan- the Panthers coaches definitely like upside. So, I think. Oh he, yeah, I mean, and, and they believe they can really develop guys. Yeah, which is which is also true for Musarike and say the second round that they they you know they, they will they will trust that they can get the best out of him. It's just about what that best is. Um, I think there are also a couple of guys we haven't mentioned, maybe sort of as like early day three picks. 
um, which is Jalen Twyman um, from Pitt and uh, Osa de Gizua from UCLA. Um, okay. Twyman probably does not have that high a ceiling. Um, he tested really quite poorly in terms of the quickness testing at his pro day. Um, and, and he's really a like power and technique. Like he's, a, he's a really good technical rusher rather than an outstanding right. athlete, but has pretty good power as well. Um, his issue is that he, he, get, he stands too vertical. Like again, he needs to fix his pad level. Um, yeah. But it's more of a consistency thing with him than it is a, a, he can't do it. And I think if you're looking for like a solid but unspectacular starter in say the fourth round, I think that's where where, where like Twyman would be an interesting option. Um, particularly like if they get more picks, like if you paired like someone like Twyman with someone like Sample, potentially you get both the the boom and the, the, the you, you get the high ceiling guy and the high floor guy, and you you sort of get a sort of a, a compromise through that. But the, the Odizur is again more of like a an early day three guy, and is he's more pure developmental. Like he's a he's a more conventional three tech than than sample, but he's is less polished. He does again, he actually does the basics quite well on a fairly consistent basis, but just needs to be a bit more consistent with his pad level and also needs to show that he can do more than the basics well. Like he doesn't have any particularly like at the moment, he's like his pass rush, again, a bit like Rousseau as an edge defender, is like athleticism and core technique. There's not any sort of like upper tier pass rushing moves yet he doesn't really right. generate that much lateral leverage with hand usage it's more about just keeping the blocker off his frame and then having the power and quickness to penetrate and yeah. that's a start but it's a start rather than an end product and i think he's more of a again another guy who was at the senior bowl another guy they got to see up close but um but it's a bit more developmental um so i think the if you're looking early day three then i think like twyman sample and odigizua are kind of the the guys in like the fourth round or maybe late third. Um, and I think they give you a range of different options where you have someone who's fairly high floor, fairly low ceiling in Twyman and a guy who's probably more like an orthodox developmental guy in a Zua, And then the more of the wild card option in sample, who's, who's more of this sort of very leverage based guy as a three tech. Okay. And there's one other name that I think, you know, some of the listeners may, you know, we listened to this and wondering why we haven't mentioned him. And that that guy is Marvin Wilson out of Florida State. Yeah. Can you explain why we haven't talked about him? Yeah, it's a little bit of a couple of factors. Partly, I um I don't think he's that good. Like he's my number seven three tech, so he's just behind um, Adiki Zua and Twyman for me. Um, okay. And I think he's a perfectly good player. Um, I think he he again does not have the highest ceiling. Um, and his pad level is pretty inconsistent. He shows some really nice things as like a power rusher, but it, it's, I think he's more of like a borderline starter rotation piece guy and is probably better suited to playing, playing alongside a more penetrative rusher um, because I think he is more of like a, a power-based rusher who's in like stack and shed and is not super explosive. I, I'm not sure I think he's a great fit alongside Derek Brown. Um, right. I think if you had someone like Dontari Poe, who's more of that like explosive nose tackle, then maybe you could get a guy like Wilson. I, I, I think ultimately I'm still not quite sure where I can see Wilson fitting in the NFL. I'm not sure what role he ultimately, like he does stuff well, but I'm not sure what that looks like as an NFL player. Cause yeah. I think although he has like some of the traits of a nose tackle, I don't think he, he really fits that in terms of length and stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, no, I just I don't think it's a good fit for Panthers. There, there, there are, there's a couple of names. It's also worth mentioning just for like general like Panthers knowledge. I think 
Although I'm not, and again, he's my number eight rusher. So just behind Wilson is Darius Stills from West Virginia, um, okay. who again, really good athlete, but neat, is really pretty raw technically. But the reason why I mention him is he's someone that uh, Matt Rule spoke very highly of when he played against West Virginia for Baylor. Um, oh, like, like, two like, years ago. Yeah. yeah, like like so like, I, I don't think he's necessarily a guy who will be like that high on their board, but he's definitely a guy who Matt Rule knows and likes and who was he, he spoke very highly of as a, as a college player playing against him as a coach. So I, I think he's just worth knowing as more of a just like out and out developmental guy. Um, and also, right. I think... Personally, I think there's very little chance they move on from Bravery and Roy. I think like the Zach Kerr release was kind of them giving Bravery and Roy the, the the backup nose tackle job. Um, but right. just a couple of names that they could also bring in. I think um uh oh god, what's his name? Alan McNeil from NC State. I think he's probably the best. Oh, yeah, one. yeah. I think I think he's the best one tech in the draft. Um for me. Yeah. I, I think he's probably gonna go too high for the Panthers to take. I think he's been more like a like late day two, early day three guy. But if you do want to yeah. nose tackle in this draft, he's probably the best guy. Um, the other guy being right. to Daryl Slayton from Florida, who is more of a late round guy. And if the Panthers do want to bring in competition for Roy, then he would be the prime choice in my view. He's really weird in that he shows so much potential, but is also really quite raw. Like he's like 6'5", yeah. 340, with just absolutely ridiculous power. And really quite good quickness and flashes of nice pass rush. And like, you know, he has absolutely the highest ceiling of all the nose guys, but is just very much a work in progress. So, yeah. I mean, if he goes undrafted, he's definitely a guy that you try and snap up and stick on your practice squad and, and, and try and develop. Like, he's probably going to go in, I guess, the sixth round based on projections. Um, and I think the Panthers probably, unless they just have a luxury pick to spend to bring in on competition, they probably won't won't be willing to spend another sixth on a nose tackle, but he he's he's got some really intriguing upside if he can put it together. But he's it's just just someone who's fun to watch his highlights because he he just blows people. Well let, let me ask you this question. I, I always think like this and I think about, you know, across our roster, you know, where we have the most holes that, you know, it, it's still to me, you know, the the defensive interior. Is there a scenario where you think, you know, the Panthers could go maybe and, you know, get one of these guys on, on day two and then come back late on day three and, and snatch another guy? Maybe. I, I think actually the more likely thing is to get, like, if you if they if they add another fourth through a trade down, I think I could see them spending, like, two mid-round picks on D-tackles. Yeah. Um, I also wouldn't rule out signing a veteran. Still, okay. I think it's um, still time, yeah. Maybe not, probably not before the draft. I mean, like, don't wrong, I thought they probably would wait till after the draft to trade for Sam Darnold as well. So, so what do I know? But, <laughs> um, I, I think it's one of those things where, like, you go into the draft, if the board falls the way it does, and you take someone like a Mozarike in the second, you yeah. probably don't go, maybe sign a veteran, but maybe you don't, or maybe you draft, you draft kind of like a sixth or seventh round or something. But if, if, like, if say you, you go elsewhere and like you spend one pick on in, say, the fourth round on someone like Sample or a Diggy Zua. I think then you that's when you look to sign a veteran, like a more conventional three-tech who can contribute right away whilst you work on honing Sample or a Diggy Zua into that guy. So yeah. I also think it's worth thinking that Morgan Fox will probably play a fair amount of three-tech. Um, yeah, I'm thinking so too. I, I heard him, you know, when he was um, on one of the, the Panthers um, interviews of him, you know, talking about how he was able to play inside as a fairly light guy. Yes. But I, think, I think he takes pride in being able to play you know, inside, you know, so I think he's looking forward to that and continuing that. Uh, yeah, uh, you, I, you, know, you, you recall what I'm talking about? Yeah, he was my, I asked the question. <laughs> oh, you asked the yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, yeah, yeah um, 
no, he 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 does. Like he does play. It's interesting that like, he plays with way better pad level as a run defender than as a pass rusher. Um, and I think if he if he can play with a pass, the pad level he shows as a as a run defender as a pass rusher, he can be a really really useful piece. Uh, because I think yeah. like he has the basis for a good power game. Like the moment he's got like a quickness game, it's like this this inside outside guy. But like yeah. if he if he can play with that 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 more consistent pad level, like he can be a really useful guy. Um, what 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 kind of what kind of contract did he get? Did he get one or two years? Two years. I mean, the Panthers, the only guy who got one year was Reddick and John Miller. Um, but the Panthers... So, so what, what's the it, deal before we get off of that? Like, Reddick has a deal that has, like, these future void years. It's just a way of spreading cap space. It, 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 okay. it's, 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 it's accountancy, um, shall we say. Like, it's, it's not, a, like, a football strategy thing. It's, it's an accountancy trick to spread money. Um, okay. I think it's very notable that like all the guys they signed were guys who probably are not like walk in day one starters anywhere else necessarily. Not necessarily that they couldn't yeah. be, but like that, you know, Hassan Reddick is going to start wherever he goes. Whereas everyone else is going to be like either a rotation piece or like a guy who can piece to start. And yeah. I think he's the one guy they couldn't convince to sign a two year deal or a three year deal. Like every, okay. everyone else they wanted for multiple years. Cause they want to have the security. They, like they don't yeah. want to have 40 free agents next year. They want to go into next year with a reasonable security that they can, they want to, they want a floor they can build upon. Um, whereas I think Reddick wasn't, wasn't going to take any of that. Like, I think he, he, he wants to get paid. He deserves to get paid. And it's just for yeah. him about, you know, it might be in Carolina, but he, he's not going to sign a two year deal. He's going to sign a one year deal and try and make as much money as possible next off season. Or not, you know, he, he wants a long term contract, not a two year deal, basically. Yeah, I do recall him mentioning how a lot of a lot of guess interested teams were a little skeptical on him just having one dominant year as a pass rusher. So I'm really eager to see how he's going to come out to prove that he's oh, yeah. a legit pass I'm rusher. Like, I'm excited for that. I, I think it's one of the things where, like, it's, it's a situation where everyone's right. Where like, yeah. Teams could justifiably go like, you've only done this for one year. We're not paying you. We're giving you a five-year top-tier contract for one year's production. But he can also justifiably turn around and go like, I was played out of position for the first three years. That's not my fault. The one year I played in the right position, I was really good. But the thing yeah. is, is it's like, it's not it's not one side being unreasonable. It's just both sides. Like the the Cardinals having used him badly has kind of made it very hard for 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 either him to prove that he's he can do it consistently or teams to trust it. So, it, yeah. He's he is someone who a prove it deal makes absolute sense for. Whereas someone like Denzel Perryman and Morgan Fox is like I mean Morgan Fox and Dan Arnold are kind of guys who are trying to prove they are starters, having mm-hmm. been rotation pieces, whereas like Perryman is just like, you know what you're getting. It's not like that good, but it's not that bad either. Right. Um he'll start some places, he won't start other places. So like uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's sort of a mixed bag, but but Reddick is clearly the guy who was the class of their free agent acquisitions. Okay. Well, I mean, it just—I was just curious, you know, before we got off, you know, the the, the line today. Um, well, you know, we we covered everything that we came to cover today. You know, we started yeah. with the Sam Donald trade. You know, that was the biggest news of the week, and you know, as I said earlier, really looking forward to Sam Donald, you know, earning the role and and being successful because, as I always say, if that quarterback position can be successful, it opens up what you can do. For the you know, with the remainder of your roster needs and um and so now Sam Donald is in the house you know we've invested you know some some draft capital uh, in him and so we want him to succeed you know we got him in tow for for what it looks like two years and so um excited for how he can grow and develop as a Panthers quarterback over the next two years and then we have um, the AJ Bouye signing you know which 
you know, gives us a starting caliber cornerback uh, opposite of Dante Jackson. You know, he will miss the first two games of the season due to suspension, but looking forward to seeing how he looks in this defense. And then, um, you know, the focus of today's episode was the defensive tackles. You know, we went over some some of the top prospects and um, Wuzurike, Cam Sample, Davion Nixon, Christian Barmore. Um, the first two, you know, are the guys who we think, you know, would fit the Panthers the best. Um, and there are some late um, late round prospects like Jalen Twyman and, and I won't even um, try to pronounce the second guy's name, Vince. Osura Dikizua. That guy. You know, my South Carolina um, tongue won't allow me to say that word clearly. And so, um, but anyway, you know, it was, it was a good episode and, um, and I enjoyed having to having this discussion. Um, as we always suggest, you know, if you have any thoughts, you know, that, uh, you know, that you had during this episode, you know, please feel free to interact with us on Twitter. Um, you know, please rate review, um, rate and review, you know, this episode and, um, go back and listen to the other episodes as well. You know, it's been fun having this discussion. I'm having this little talk right now because we only have one more episode remaining. Yeah. And, uh, no, um, two, two, two more episodes. Oh, two, 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 two. Oh, my bad. You know, so I'm, I'm, may, getting, may, I'm getting prematurely sad. We might, we might do a third one as well after draft. Well, I think we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> might even I, have three. You know, we might we'll even see. have three. Okay. We'll you know, I was, I was, you know, thinking we were winding down. So, um, you know, so that's good though. You know, so I've, I've enjoyed this, and um, yeah. and so it's, it's, it's made me learn a lot. You know, um, you know, do a lot of research. You know, the prospects. I, I've enjoyed the process of, of doing it. So, so what we have is next week we are discussing tackles, correct? Offensive line, yeah. And yeah, then offensive line, and um, and then the week after we're going to talk about. Just, just talk about like basically just like a primer for the draft. Just like try and sort of summarize everything together and kind of bring it all together. And then obviously okay. we'll like a review afterwards. But I, if if we're just gonna very quickly, um, if you are gonna go back and listen to old episodes, dear listener, um, if you listen to the linebacker episode, uh, we talked a lot about Nick Neiman. Um, and if if you've got five minutes, go up and look Nick Neiman's um, pro day numbers, which are just absolutely bonkers. So yeah. Where are they? Oh, Nick Neiman, a six foot three, two hundred and thirty four pound linebacker, ran a four four five forty yard dash, had the same vertical jump as Carl Pitts, and ran the what would have been the fastest three cone of anyone over two hundred and thirty pounds in the history of the combine, and ran a short shuttle point zero two of a second slower than Luke Keekley did at almost exactly so, the same measurables. Like he so would Nick be. Nick Neiman was out of hour, correct? Yeah, he's he's currently like a late round pick and he put up the most absolutely ridiculous measurables and has good tape. So if, 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 if you're going to listen to linebackers, know that there is a, a six foot three, 234 pound man who ran a four, four, five, 40. Um, so right. at linebacker. So now you, you, you have me want to go back and look at him now, but I remember you being really high on him. So I'm assuming Nick Neiman is your, is your draft darling. A linebacker. Definitely. Yeah, like, like, like don't worry, like it's still a bit of a he's he's a little bit of a project, but it's you know it isn't often you get like legitimate full size linebackers, like not like tweeners, like actual linebackers running four four five, like okay. that, that's that's really fast. Well, I'm going to look at him actually right after we get off of this, so I can just see what his pro day looked like, and and, and because I didn't watch him much you know during his career so i'll go back because i'm interested now you know if he has all those freakish measurables then he's definitely somebody that not only we should be interested in but i know matt rule 
and Scott Fitterer are tracking because yeah. of what they like in prospects, you know, their explosiveness. I mean, they, they said after the, in the, in the media interview, after, after the Donald trade, Scott Fitterer mentioned wanting to get faster. And I, I think a, a four, four, five from a linebacker counts as faster. From a guy who truly plays the, a natural linebacker role, you know, yeah. like that's freakishly fast. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, yeah. I mean, he's, he's an off-ball linebacker. He's a 4-3 linebacker, not like an inside thumper, but like he's an actual linebacker, not sort of a safety. Um, yeah, that's what and, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, not a hybrid guy. He's a no, linebacker. He's a linebacker, yeah. Um, and yeah, really, really good. Like, it's one of those things where he's one of those players you watch on tape and like, you're just very good. Like, you're not like making loads of special plays all over the place. Like, he's not Luke Keekley or anything like that, but it's just like, yeah. you're just very, very good. And yet somehow you're not, going to get drafted that high because you don't have this like i mean how he doesn't get drafted high like not like first or second round type stuff but yeah how he doesn't go into off the fourth or fifth round now with those kind of numbers and his tape just is beyond me but yeah if you've listened all the way through and you sort of like sort of heard that name go go and and you sort of didn't go and watch the first time go and watch now because those numbers are are really special i love defensive you know players and i love having fast hard-hitting defenses and so if nick neiman is a guy that we can find you know on day three because everybody else was goofy and passed them up then you know hopefully that pans out for us absolutely anyway yeah. we should probably say but that's, that's that's all we have um you know look forward to the next episode and you know the in the two after those you know that's that's a pleasant surprise i was i don't know why i was thinking that we you know we were almost done with the series but yeah i mean that makes sense and so looking forward to those episodes as well um again you know if you want to find us you know you can find me at panthers culture on twitter you can find vincent at b richardson 444 on twitter looking forward to interacting with you please rate review and if you haven't already done so subscribe Talk to you later.